Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 19. The Map After James had left them, Jenny, Frank and Arlo spent some time in the walled garden. The two boys held water bombs in both hands, ready to throw at any sign of trouble. If the polecats had been trying to find another way into Hegel's chamber earlier, there was no sign of them now. The secret door by the hedgewart gravestone was closed and quiet. Jenny was half tempted to open it and go and see Hegel herself, but there was another secret door that beckoned, at the Quaker meeting house, and with the long man seemingly skulking around the rockery, she may not get a better chance. Frank and Arlo, slightly disappointed at the lack of targets for their water bombs, suggested a quick check of the rockery, you know, just in case. It was right across the road and on the way toward town, so Jenny went with them. There were a couple of families picnicking on the lower grass and no sign of the long man or skady. Frank and Arlo took the stepping stones over the pond while Jenny pushed her bike round the long way. The three children stood under the dangling green fronds of the weeping willow. A gentle breeze made the leaves shiver and caused tiny ripples in the water. Is there really a giant fish in there? Frank asked. Yes, Jenny nodded. A huge carp called Enri. But I haven't ever seen it. Look, a fish, Arlo said excitedly. Is that Henry? He pointed to where a willow branch dipped delicately into the water. A shape appeared. It was small and yellow. That's a con on the cob, Frank said. Not a fish. It is a fish, Arlo said. A cobfish. A giant cobfish. Jenny didn't say anything. It just so happened that Enri, the giant carp's favourite food, was corn on the cob. It might have been a coincidence that one just happened to be floating in the pond on the same day that the long man had been there. But there were rather too many coincidences around at the moment. She did not mention it to the boys. They went happily back over to the grass in front of the old elm tree. She waved at them before riding southwards along the cycle path. The Triple M key was one of three magical keys that the children had found during their adventures. It was in James's wooden box, along with the Squiducken key and the key to the air. The keys were collectively called the Bones of Kerberos, and each one had caused the great deal of trouble for the Green Hands gang in the past. Jenny hardly knew anything about the keys at all. The Squiducken key was the first one they had found, It unlocked doors adorned with fishy faces that led to underground places. The triple M key was hidden within a wooden puzzle box and opened doors with three claw marks scratched nearby. The key to the air was the strangest of all and they had yet to work out exactly what it did. Jenny cycled past the restaurant opposite the dome. The two squiduckens on the wall gave her reason to pause. She wondered if, perhaps, the squiducken key would open the main door. It was right underneath the fishy motifs, after all. She got off her bike and walked up the two steps to the glass front door. There were no squiduckens anywhere on the door, however, and the only lock seemed to be a modern-looking one. It had far too small a keyhole for the big old squiducken key to fit in. "'Can I help you?' a voice said from behind. Jenny turned to see a portly middle-aged woman standing at the bottom of the steps. She was blocking Jenny into the doorway, and worse, she was a little closer than two metres away. 
I was just wondering, Jenny said, thinking quickly. Well, my dad was wondering whether the restaurant is open again yet. It's his favourite. No, said the woman. I run the place. Well, I did when it was open. We can't sell food to the public at the moment. It's the new rules, you know. We're planning on doing some kind of takeaway service, but I haven't worked it all out yet. I just like to check on the place every day. Gives me something to do. The woman stepped back to let Jenny out. I read in the Argus that there was a break in here, Jenny said, picking her bike up. Is it true? The woman looked at her sceptically, but answered anyway. Yes, it's true, but nothing was stolen, at least nothing to do with the restaurant. Jenny decided to push her luck. What do you think they were doing if they weren't robbers? I didn't say they weren't robbers, the woman said. I said they didn't take anything of the restaurants. There's an old storeroom up there. The woman stepped backward toward the edge of the pavement and pointed to a small window above the two squiduckens. It's not part of the restaurant. It belongs to the museum, I think. It's full of dusty old books and maps. They were moved there during the war, apparently, and nobody's worked out where they should be moved back to. Doesn't the museum want them back? If they did, they could have just come and got them years ago. I don't care anyway. There's a rent subsidy for the whole building due to it being part used for council storage. Saves me money. But I could use the space. Well, I could have used it before all this happened. She waved her hand, gesturing to nothing and everything. Jenny knew what she meant. Thanks, she said, and cycled off. She couldn't imagine the long man was interested in stealing cutlery and tablecloths. But dusty old museum documents might be what he was after. Compared to the park, and even the rest of town, the lanes was almost completely deserted. Jenny locked her bike by the town hall. A short walk took her past more closed restaurants to the passage that ran down the back of the Quaker Meeting House. It was eerily quiet in this part of town, and hot. In the park there had been a slight breeze, but here the air was hardly moving at all. The sun was fierce on Jenny's neck, and she felt cool relief when she reached the shade of the narrow lane. She bent down by the bricked-up door and pulled out the wooden box that James had given her. Inside were all of the keys, the bones of Kerberos, plus a couple of other items. The triple M key was hidden within a beautiful puzzle box. The puzzle box was made of smooth, fine-grained wood. It was a bit longer than a credit card, and square on the end. She fiddled with it for a moment, remembering how it opened, and then pushed the right panel inward. With a soft click, the key flicked out of the bottom. After a quick glance up and down the lane, she slid the key into the small crack next to the three claw marks. There was no need to turn it. The action of inserting it caused the lower quarter of the brick door to slide in and to the side. She closed the puzzle box and put it back in the wooden box in her bag. With one last look around to check she wasn't being watched, she crouched down and ducked through the doorway. It was dark and warm inside. Ahead of her was a small metal door with a knob. She reached out and touched it. The metal was cold and smooth. The brick door slid closed behind her, taking all the available light with it. She pulled the knob and the metal door swung open. On the other side, she could see a table and chairs and a serving hatch. A low square brick arch partially blocked her view to either side and above, and on the ground in front of her was a dusty metal grate. She got the feeling she was in the back of a fireplace. She listened carefully. There were sounds coming in, but muffled by distance, not close. 
she cautiously crept through and out into the room. She was right. The secret door was indeed the back of a fireplace in a cosy dining area of the meeting house. Beyond the serving hatch was a little kitchen. The noises she had heard were coming from an open doorway. There was no sign of any droplifter activity in this part of the meeting house, so Jenny quietly moved across the wooden floor to the open doorway. It led to a short corridor that ended in a T-junction with a wider corridor running across it. The wooden floor and white-painted walls were reminiscent but not quite like a church. The sounds were discernible here, voices and things being moved. She reached the end of the short corridor. There was a little sign pointing back the way she'd come with Café and Servery written on it. The sounds were coming from a set of double doors on the far side of the wider corridor. She tiptoed over and peered through a glass panel in the nearest door. She could see a square hall, larger than the classroom and taller too, with a balcony at one end. In the middle of the room were piles of cement and sand and flour and other building materials. At the far end, two people were standing by a table talking. A third person appeared from quite near the door, calling over to the other two. Jenny snapped her head back to avoid being seen and turned back to hide in the cafe. She saw a little set of stairs. Hoping that they might lead to the balcony, where she would have a better view, she took them. Like the cafe, the upstairs of the meeting house gave no signs that anything was wrong. She found the door that led to the balcony and crept up to the edge to spy on the people below. All three of them were now talking by the table, and Jenny quickly worked out that they were all indeed droplifters. Apprentices like Annabelle, maybe, or journeymen, perhaps. Two girls and a boy, all about her older sister's age. We need to get out of here, one of them was saying. I think the Quakers might be coming back this weekend. You're scared of Quakers, another scoffed. You may be quaking in your boots. I mean it, the first one said. If they catch us here, they'll call the police. And the long man said that we're done here now. But what are we going to do with all this flour the stupid apprentices keep bringing? The second one asked. He needs to tell them to stop stealing it. No one's seen him since the day before yesterday at the club, the first one said. He's disappeared, and we're going to get into trouble if we're still here when the Quakers come back. Listen, the third one finally spoke. Let's do one last check of the wall, then we'll get out of here. We can find out what the long man wants later at the club. And all the stuff, the first one said. Who cares, the second one said. Just leave it. Even the map, the first one said, pointing at the table. From her high vantage point, Jenny could see a big map rolled out across the table. It was held in place by bags of flour on the corners. No, the third one said. We'll take that. It's important. Let's go and check the wall, and then we'll get out of here. She picked up a short stick with a hook on the end, and led the other two to the centre of the hall. There, she bent down and put the hook end of the stick into a hole in the wooden floorboards. She heaved, and a large round section of the floor slid away. The three journeymen climbed down through the gap in the floor. As soon as the last one was out of sight, Jenny started moving. She had no idea what the wall was, or how long it would take them to check it. She ran down the stairs and into the hall. The journeymen's voices drifted up from deep under the floor. Skirting round the hole in the floor so as not to be seen, Jenny quietly looked at the map on the table. It was very old-looking, and not made of paper, but a soft and thick material, like cloth. She gathered it up and carefully folded it into her bag. 
There was another set of double doors that she hadn't seen, as they were under the balcony. Sunlight angled through them, and she could see the main entrance was beyond them. She took one last look around the hall, and then pushed out through the two sets of doors and into the little garden. She had no idea what was on the map. But, if it was important to the long man, then it just might give her a clue to what he was up to.